Good morning. Welcome to Park Road Baptist Church on a beautiful, glorious Easter Sunday morning. Twice this week, my mother has told me that when she was five years old, it snowed on Easter Sunday. Well, we don't have snow today, but we do have a fire in Helt Hall. It's a beautiful, cold day, and we're glad to have you in the warmth of this room. Thank you for coming. Three years ago, writing for the Los Angeles Times, Nicholas Goldberg had the following to say, when I was growing up in New York City, everyone knew about Kitty Genovese, the 28-year-old bar manager who had been robbed, raped, and stabbed to death outside her apartment building in Queens in 1964, while 38 people watched or listened and did nothing to stop the attack. It was more than just another tabloid murder. It was a morality tale, exhibit A, for the ar argument that cities were alienating and dehumanizing, that there was no such thing as neighborhood or community, that people were cold, cruel, selfish, indifferent. Even today, Kitty Genovese's name is still invoked, not just in New York, but around the world when people fail to come to each other's aid in times of violence and trouble. It was an appalling story. It was also wrong. The story, according, according to Goldberg, is an urban legend. He explains, so what about the idea that no one cared or tried to help? What about the 38 cold, disinterested, or fearful people who did nothing? When Genovese died, it was the New York Times that created the shocking narrative of indifference and apathy with a front page story. The story originated with a conversation between the police commissioner and the editor, but the number was substantially exaggerated and inadequately checked before it was printed. Some stories become part of the zeitgeist because they seem to tell us something fundamental about human beings. So the story wasn't true, but it rang true. I wonder why. Maybe we know we could have been one of those 38 standing by, doing nothing. How are you involved in the story of this world? Are you sitting by? Are you too busy? Are you disinterested? Are you apathetic? Are you insecure? How are you involved in the story of the world that is unfolding around us? Let us keep silence together. I always hate to interrupt the silence. I love this discipline of keeping silence together. But let us read together now this prayer of confession. Sometimes we just stand by and watch the action. We're afraid to get involved. Sometimes, if we're honest, it's just apathy. Other times, ashamed to admit, we're too busy even to notice. But the story of faith only continues if it is to be continued in us. God, forgive us and walk ahead of us 
that your good news will not end with us. Amen. The heart of Christian faith says that God is not disinterested in humanity, does not sit idly by, but comes to know us as one of us. And because of that story and because of the way we celebrate it today, we can say, you are loved, you are forgiven, so be at peace. The text today is from Matthew's Gospel. Russ will give you a little overview of how every Gospel writer writes this story a little bit differently, but today we're going to read Matthew's telling. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Just hold on to that other Mary just a minute. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descending from heaven came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he has been raised as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has been raised from the dead, and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. This is my message for you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came to him and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. You've heard the ancient story. If you were here on, for our Maundy Thursday service, I did a little experiment that I've never done before with some creative writing. And I imagined Martha, the, uh, the, the sister of Lazarus and Mary, I imagined that she was at the Last Supper and her story just didn't get told, it didn't get written down. And so I put her in the Last Supper, and because they had taken care of the meal, Martha didn't have to do all the work, and Jesus invited her to recline with them at the table, and she was a part of the supper like one of the guys. And at that table is where Jesus told them, y'all just love each other, that's all I need for you to do. And I had the most fun with Martha. And so I said to Russ, I think Martha needs to show up on Easter Sunday. So I sat down and spent some time with Martha in this scene that I just read for you. Now, please do not mistake my creative writing for scripture. It is not. I am not in any way saying I'm rewriting the story. But it is fun to imagine her. And I begin to see myself emerging as the story unfolds. I don't know how most people write novels, uh, works of fiction. I don't know if they have an end in mind. But when I've started writing both of these, I've had no idea how they're going to end until I get to know her and the characters as I work through it. So here's a short perspective from Martha. I keep getting left out of the narrative. 
I guess it doesn't really matter. I know I was there. That should be enough. But sometimes I do wish they would get the story right, or at least more correct. Mary Magdalene was there. It's recorded. I try not to get jealous that she is always so specifically identified. But sometimes it kind of gets under my skin how people, how some people are acknowledged and some are not. And the amount of unnamed people, especially women, there are in the telling of the story of Jesus. We matter. I just know if Jesus were writing this down, he would at least recognize all of the characters. That's how much people meant to Jesus. I feel for Mary, you know, that other Mary, insert eye roll emoji. Well, the Mary you read about today, that other Mary is my sister, and I can't help it. I feel defensive about her label as other, but I digress. There were so many others there, and I was among them. Some were there out of curiosity. Some were there to be seen as being there. Some were there to get a scoop for the later day's gossip at the well. But most of us were there because where else would we have been? We were hurting. We were grieving. We needed to be together because when you are hurting like we were hurting, we didn't know what else to do but show up for each other. So I showed up, yes, with a basket of food, because when I don't know what else to do, I cook, okay? Sue me. I know it ends up being kind of wasteful, because no one is hungry at when horrific tragedy strikes, but I had to do something, so pound cake it is. I thought after we took care of Jesus' body with our herbs and spices, Maybe we could huddle up and tell our favorite stories over a cup of joe and a slice of cake. It was still warm from the oven. The work of tending the dead is tedious and gut-wrenching. It's morbid and it can be grotesque. But unfortunately, all the Marys and all the rest of us were used to this labor of love. Well, imagine our surprise. When we got to the place where they had put Jesus' body, and about that time there was a rumbling under our feet as the whole earth shook at once. We didn't know what to make of it, and a bunch of us ran for cover. I hate to get so scared so quickly like that, but I've been like that since I was a little girl. Always the worker bee, always the one to take charge, always the one that folks could count on, until things like the earth shake it from its core, and then it's Martha's out of here. I've got, work, I've got to work on that. But Mary M. and my sister Mary, they were the brave ones. Nothing was going to keep them from Jesus, not even an earthquake. A little earth moving under their feet, that was no deterrent for them. I couldn't hear what was going on, but I could see from my hiding perch that they looked scared and confused. 
Then they entered the place where Jesus' body was supposed to be, and quick as lightning, they took off out of that cave like something was chasing them. They still had that look of fear on their faces. But they were also crying and shouting, and from afar, I couldn't really tell if they were scared or happy. I later learned it was a lot of both. The earth had remained silent and still for long enough that I finally felt safe to come out. A few others joined me and we made our way to the tomb that we would soon discover to be empty. We didn't know what to make of it. Grave robbers? Maybe, but who needs a tortured body and there was never anything of monetary value on his person. Something just kept nagging at me, though. Jesus had talked about this in his, unusual, in his usual mysterious and cryptic manner. Something about death not being able to hold him down. Could this be what he was trying to tell us about? Well, there was nothing for us to do at that point but to wait it out and see what the Marys were up to and hope for some answers to come. So I did the only thing I knew to do. It was the thing Jesus had taught me to do. Luckily, I had packed a big picnic basket, a big picnic blanket, and put it in the basket under my cake. I spread the blanket out for the group just outside the entrance to the empty tomb, and I invited all the stragglers to join me at this makeshift table. I had packed a knife and napkins, because I might be a scaredy cat at earthquakes, but at least I am a prepared scaredy cat. By this time, a good many had gathered, and anyone that walked up, I invited them to my blanket table for cake. We cried, we told stories of our various encounters with Jesus, we laughed, we put faces with names, we promised to stay in touch. And we decided right then and there that we would never let the story of Jesus die. His body might be gone, but he most definitely lived on. Honestly, it was almost like being at last Thursday's supper table. Only there was no bread and no wine, just pound cake this time. And as I sliced the cake and passed it out, I told them about that supper that I had attended just a few nights before where Jesus had invited me, me, little old Martha, to join the guys for supper. He had told us so clearly, me and the guys. He said, y'all, just love each other, okay? No matter what, just love each other. Later that night at home with my sister Mary, you know the other, she told me the rest of the story about meeting Jesus on the way to tell the others. I hated to, oh, that's nothing, her story. So I let her think that she was the only one to have seen Jesus that day. But while she was with Jesus on the way, I had been with Jesus and all the others outside that empty tomb, eating cake. And you know what? It just keeps happening. Every single time I pay attention and welcome people to my table and just love them, Jesus keeps showing up, 
just like he said he would. And it amazes me every single time. Thank you to Amy for imagining Martha's story. I hope it has helped you to think about your own place in the story. Where do you find yourself in the story of resurrection? The tension has been building for an hour. You're past the last commercial break and they are about to reveal the killer. Now you've been suspecting Miss Scarlet with the dagger all along, but after that last twist, you realize your error, and you now can't wait to prove to everyone watching with you that it was actually Pro Professor Plum with the candlestick. But instead of the new scene rolling around, a resolution, as the screen fades to black, those hated words appear to be continued. Oh, do you hate that as much as I do? I have got to wait an entire week now, tune back in, let them twist me up in knots all over again before I can find out how the story ends. I really hate that. And as it turns out, that's sort of how the Easter story ends. With Christians around the world today, we come singing, Christ the Lord is risen today, hallelujah. And as grand as it is, that's not the end of the story. The original ending of the oldest gospel gives us no resolution. There is an empty tomb, but Mark says the women fled for terror and amazement had seized them and said nothing to anyone for they were afraid, period. What kind of ending is that? Luke relays several amazing stories of the risen Jesus appearing before his dismayed disciples and then records a scene to rival the best that even Hollywood has to offer. On a hill near Bethany, Jesus' disciples watch as he is carried up into heaven. Now what? Where'd he go? He left us here? What are we supposed to do now? John tells the story of those fear-filled disciples who had locked themselves in that upper room when Jesus just appears before them to speak to the doubting Thomas. And then in the next scene, Jesus is on the shore of the lake eating a beach breakfast with them. He offers Peter a threefold forgiveness to match Peter's threefold denial. And then we read, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, and he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? And Jesus said to Peter, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. Follow me? It's not over yet. And in today's text from Matthew, though Jesus appears to those few brave women, he says, in effect, if the rest of you want to see me, Tell them to go to Galilee. You'll see me there. To be continued. We should be on the edge of our seats, itching to know how this thing really ends. But if what we're looking for on a good news Easter Sunday is a conclusion, well, I've got bad news for you. This story never ends. At least we can hope. 
The third chapter of the book that I have written is ironically entitled, A New Future. Too many Christians aren't ready to live. I outlined for you in those pages how with one line from one sermon, my entire faith was turned on its head. I've said that's the reason I preach, because I know one sermon can change your life. It did mine. Contrary to the faith I had been given as a child, I came to see that faith is mostly about here, not there. Mostly about earth, not heaven. Mostly about now, not then. It's about the present, not about the future. And I believe that. But the all-important present moment is always informed and influenced by both the experiences of our past and a confidence in our future. No one can live into the present moment if they honestly have no room in their worldview for the future. No one. It's called hope. As Tom Bodet says it, a person needs just three things. Someone to love, something to do, and something to hope for. As little Annie sang it, the sun will come out tomorrow. And as the Apostle Paul preached it, love never ends. In every philosophy, it's there. No cheery optimism, unrealistic optimism, just realistic reasoning, valid vision, healthy hope, future. So faith is for the here and now, but inherent to a theology that says joy is ours to be had today, today in the good times and today in the bad times. Well, that theology cannot be separated from a confident trust in tomorrow, tomorrow in this life and beyond. Faith without future is no faith at all. So that bad news that there's no full resolution to the Easter story, well, it turns out that that's actually the best news of all because resurrection, the surprise and grace and mystery and abundance and joy and hope, the new life of resurrection goodness has not ended. It is to be continued, not in Jesus, but in us. May it be so. Amen. For this season of Lent, some of us have been following along in Kate Bowler's newest work about blessing the lives that we actually have. What I found along the way is that there were certainly some days during the dark season of Lent where I was really pretty happy and things were going well. And the reverse is true. Here we sit on an Easter morning where it is all good news and yet there are still plenty of people walking and sitting and being in dark places because that's how life works. It's about the both and all the time. And I find that Kate Bowler has a way of naming that in important ways. So I turned to her book for today's blessing for Easter Sunday and thought that I would share that with you as our prayer of thanksgiving. So here now this Easter Sunday blessing, let us pray. 
Oh God, I stretch out my hands to you in this early Easter darkness. I need you to pull me up and set me on my feet again, for I'm weak and tired. God, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Spirit, have mercy. God, on that first Easter morning, while it was still dark, and the women went alone to the tomb to do what could be done to honor you, though hope had drained away. An angel appeared before them, and then, how is it possible you were there, fully alive, beyond belief? Blessed are we who stretch out our hands to you in doubt and grief, in sickness of body and mind and spirit, our prayers not fully realized, rejoicing anyway. For that is what makes us Easter people, carrying forth the realized hope of the resurrected one, singing our alleluias great and small while it is still dark. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Christ will come again in us, through us. Alleluia, 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 amen. Amen.